What's up, friends? It's Haley, aka Bird. And Randy. And you're tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now, let's give them the bird. Hello, and welcome back, everyone, to our next episode of Give Them the Bird podcast. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus, as you know, because um, Haley is momming it up uh, with baby <laughs> Mal. Uh, but we're super excited to be back today. We have um, a really exciting guest, um, Dr. Brooke Scheller. So Dr. Scheller um, is joining us from New York City, where she currently lives, um, and she is a doctor of clinical nutrition and author and founder of Functional Sobriety, a nutrition-based program for alcohol reduction. Her launch of Functional Sobriety led to the development of her online community, the Functional Sobriety Network, and several online programs with members across the globe. She is a motivational speaker and helps spread the word about functional nutrition, alcohol-free wellness, and the power of sobriety. Uh, and I know Haley and I both have personal interests in this topic. Um, we both kind of explored like sober curiosity and sobriety uh, ourselves. So yeah, we're just really excited to chat with you uh, today. So if you want to just kind of get started with telling us a little bit about your story, uh, certainly we're interested in, um, you know, your professional life and what you do, but also, you know, a little bit about your personal life would be fun to know as well. So yeah, just kind of let us know about you and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I'm a big fan of of podcast interviews. I just think it's such a fun way to connect with people. And I always make friends with the podcast host <laughs> and like it creates such a great relationship, like different than I think any other collaboration. So I'm excited to be here and thank you both for, for having me. And I'm excited to share my story. Um, I wasn't always excited to share my story and my experience with, you know, my my alcohol use and, um, you know, how it really affected my life, um, professionally, personally, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of times when I share my story, I, I share that I felt like for a long time, I was living a double life. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to have a bachelor's master's and a doctorate in nutrition. For those of you who don't know, alcohol is technically a macronutrient. So it's a nutritional topic, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all throughout my education, my training, I was drinking. And it's funny because last night I was having a conversation with a few other people who had a heavy history of drinking and also were very interested in school, kept themselves in school. And for me, I felt like school really helped me like hold it together for a, a longer period of time. You know, I kind of had uh, an alibi, for example, of like, I had to show up, you know, to these certain deadlines, I had to kind of meet these certain expectations. But when I wasn't, you know, in school, and I wasn't taking a test or writing a paper, I was usually drinking. And that was my way to kind of, you know, de-stress, unwind and socialize. I started drinking at a, you know, in my early teens at age 13. And it's really the only way I learned how to socialize. The only thing I knew how to cope with stress, how to, you know, interact and engage with other people. And looking back, you know, in my mid thirties, now I can look back at that and see really clearly how my drinking at a very early age affected 
you know, my later teenage years, my 20s, my early 30s. And um, it was June of 2021 that I made the decision to quit drinking. And, um, you know, it was not necessarily like a rock bottom in the sense of, you know, nothing, nothing bad happened. I didn't get a DUI. I didn't, you know, lose a job, lose family members, et cetera. But I had been struggling with my alcohol use for a very, very long time. Uh, it was creating a lot of anxiety and depression for me. It was, um, you know, causing me to make decisions and choices that weren't really aligned with, I think, my ultimate goals and my ultimate desires. And, um, but, you know, of course I knew no other way. And like so many people, the pandemic really shook things up. I think, you know, I, I always liken it to if my drinking were a pot on the back burner of the stove, it was kind of on a simmer, you know, I was able to function. I was able to show up at work, um, you know, and, and pay my bills and all of that kind of stuff. But the pandemic really like cranked up the heat on the stove and like caused the pot to boil over, which I know so many people share that kind of same thought, which is why sobriety, sober curiosity, I think now in 2023 has become such an important topic and important discussion because people are now realizing that alcohol doesn't necessarily serve their higher goals or their higher purpose. And as you know, as a millennial, I can definitely say with certainty that we're you know a, a generation that leaned heavily on alcohol use. We see now with Gen Zs, they're not as interested. They may be more interested in marijuana and other things, but they're less interested in alcohol because it does have such significant health impacts. It does have you know very. Uh, increase our risks, our risk of anxiety, depression, mental health disorders, which is a big conversation in that, in that generation too. And so it really came to the point for me that, you know, I kind of had to make that decision. I was either going to continue struggling uh, or take this very difficult challenge ahead of me, which was to quit drinking and, and relearn how to live life without alcohol, because that's really what it has been about. Um, and, you know, it's so amazing and I'll love to share, you know, everything that has kind of culminated over the last two years with eliminating alcohol. Um, but I, you know, the dreams and the goals and things that I had had for years that I was struggling to, you know, make any progress on, as soon as I eliminated alcohol, it came with ease. Um, and so that for me has really kept me on this path of saying this, you know, this sobriety has served me far more than a drink ever has. And it's really been just an eye-opening and life-changing experience. And, and that's why I really shifted the work that I do around helping to inspire people to give it a try because it is really life-changing. That's such a cool story. I love that. It is. And when I was looking at your Instagram as well, I wanted to tell you, I mean, I didn't realize that June was your two year date of sobriety. So yes. congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. That's you so know, it's interesting because the first year is really about just making it through like all of the milestones, like getting through the holidays, getting through a summer, getting through your birthday, getting through a wedding, you know, big events that previously you may have consumed alcohol at and that first year is really about like getting through all of those big events 
The second year is really interesting because the second year comes with its own set of challenges where, okay, now you have a little bit more confidence. You're comfortable and going through different situations without drinking. Um, but this is where it becomes more about like real life stuff, right? Like, mm -hmm. eh, well, maybe, you know, we're coming up on some difficult things that maybe we haven't experienced before. It's the kind of um, novelty of the first year wears off in a sense. Mm -hmm. And it's really just getting into like, this is my life without alcohol. Right. And so it's less about, you know, having to walk through or really struggle to get through different events or, you know, different situations without drinking. And it's more about adjusting to like the idea of life without alcohol, you know, on a, mm -hmm. on a more like global kind of scale. And so the second year was had its own set of challenges in the sense of, you know, really working through emotions, working through a lot of that self-growth um, and, and still finding that going into the third year. But it's, you know, it's I'm I'm so far away from that initial experience that I really love working with people who are sober, becoming sober, sober curious, because it helps me kind of stay connected to the fact that I don't want to go back there. You know, yeah. I don't want to go back to that struggle that, um, you know, so many people are experiencing to get over that challenge of eliminating alcohol from their life. Mm. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned um, earlier, you know, that, in 2023 now sobriety and sober curiosity is kind of I don't want to say a buzzword because um, it's a it's a real thing but it's just becoming more people are more aware of it um, and I think that's a huge benefit now because I mean everywhere I go there's a nice little like mocktail menu and like just mm -hmm. things to make make it easier I think um, to, you know to make that choice certainly there's all the emotions and and things behind that that you have to deal with but um I think it's certainly becoming a little easier in terms of just being able to have choices when you're out and about and in social situations and things. And while it's, you know, what we're really talking about now in the industry with sober curiosity is, is that, and, and the options that are available for non-alcoholic beverages and all of that, it's really about the fact that it's not just black and white, right? Like previously it was, you're an alcoholic or you're not an alcoholic. And if you're not, you don't have to stop drinking. And if you are, you have to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. Right. But the reality is that there's this everyone who's not an alcoholic, there's still a wide range of alcohol use behavior. Right. So you might have someone who drinks never and just never really had a taste for it, never really was interested in it. You might have someone who drinks every now and again, you know, maybe has a glass of wine at a nice dinner or what have you. You have people that maybe drink every weekend. And they don't identify as having an addiction because they're not drinking every single day, which is what we kind of quote unquote associate with an alcoholic. Um, but they're still maybe overdoing it on the weekends and struggling to say no to that, which is a whole big thing to kind of dive into and peel apart. And then you have people, you know, where I felt like I sit sat for a long time, um, prior to the pandemic where I was drinking maybe four or five, maybe sometimes six days a week. And maybe a couple of those days I was, I was drinking pretty heavily. Maybe a few of them, I was only drinking a glass or two of wine, but it was really affecting my life. But because I wasn't an, you know, drinking every single day, waking up shaking, 
Right. You know, I didn't feel like I was ready to say I'm an alcoholic and completely cut it out. So right now the conversation is becoming more around, okay, well, we have this, what they call gray area drinkers. We have this group of people who are drinking probably more than they should. And you don't have to be drinking every single day or have a problem, quote unquote, to decide, eh, I don't really think this is serving me. You know, we have people as I think the millennial age group, you know, we get a little bit more into the thirties, into the forties, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're having children, we're, you know, having maybe different life situations that we've never experienced before. And, um, you know, that changes our priorities, right? Like Haley, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can say having a baby has completely changed your priorities around alcohol or partying or even socializing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's so many reasons or, um, you know, deciding factors maybe behind why we would choose to change our alcohol related behavior. But the most important thing to know, and if you're listening and you're kind of like, "Eh, you know, I'm questioning if I should be quitting or cutting back. The biggest thing to know is that you don't have to have any type of diagnosis or any type of, you know, justification behind why you want to quit drinking. You can say, this simply makes me feel like crap or shit. <laughs> we can curse on here. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and I want to make that decision before it gets worse, right? Because the reality is it gets worse. Alcohol is an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you say that too, because as you were talking about that, I see the parallels with, you know, a lot of the work that I do related to disordered eating and eating disorders. It's like, you don't have a problem unless you're emaciated, right? And just like super, you know, thin and you can see your ribs and all of this. And um, I think the message that like Randy and I try to um, try to share is that it doesn't have to get to that place and it doesn't have to look one way or another. We talk a lot about the gray area. And I love that you bring that up with, with sobriety and with alcohol, because yeah, I do think that it's, it's becoming more common to talk about it, but it's still like this taboo thing. And if you're like, oh yeah, I'm not drinking anymore. It's like, Ooh, does she have a problem? And so I love the awareness that you can quit drinking simply because you don't want to spend the extra money on alcohol. You don't want to wake up feeling kind of icky the next day, like whatever it might be rather than I had to quit drinking because I was addicted or I had a substance use disorder. So I really like your, your emphasis on that. Totally. And if you have a substance use disorder, that's okay too. Like I will identify by the end of my drinking, I was drinking every single day. I identify as having alcoholic behaviors, as having a substance use disorder. The problem is we let these things define us. Right. And so that doesn't mean, you know, that I, it doesn't mean anything about me. Right. And mm-hmm. the problem is that it, there's been so much stigma around addiction, around substance use, you know, around how we, we label these people or they kind of get labeled until the end of time. Um, and in my book, that is as of today, right. Because it's July yes. 24th, um, <laughs> as of today is on, on pre-order. You know, I, I talk a lot about how, um, you know, we don't need to use that term anymore. We don't need to use the term alcoholic. We don't need to use the term substance use disorder. You know, I think so many people, they, they Google like, am I an alcoholic? And it's, again, we're looking for this black or white, like answer to say, 
yes, you are, or no, you're not. And I, when we Google that, we're really hoping the answer is no, I'm not, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is we're Googling it, which means we're already feeling like there's something off about this, right? Mm -hmm. So the the term or the word alcoholic, you know, we can erase it from our, our terminology or from our, our brains because it doesn't really help in so many, in many ways, right? It doesn't really mean anything besides the fact that maybe you are going to go to an AA meeting or you're going to, um, you know, a, a psychiatrist, which alcoholic is not the word that they use in a clinical setting. They use alcohol use disorder, mm -hmm. right? And so it's really kind of this outdated terminology in the sense of um, it, it doesn't, bring any benefit. You don't need to be identifying as this in order to decide that you want to make a change with your relationship mm -hmm. with alcohol. Yeah. And it doesn't leave room, you know, for that gray area that you mentioned. Totally. And totally. we love the gray area. We uh, love a good gray area because you want to know what, what I have learned from working with, you know, now hundreds, if not thousands of people in, in, in this experience that I've had over the last two years and really moving my business and my, my purpose around sobriety is that, um, you know, God, if I could help someone before they end up further down the line, right? Like you definitely, if you, even if you drink once a week, and you feel like it's not serving you, even if you drink once a month and you feel like you get out of control, you can still say that you don't want to drink, right? Mm -hmm. You can still make that decision that you're going to become sober or sober curious and maybe, maybe not drink at all, or maybe minimize that to a couple times a year at a, you know, a special occasion or something along those lines. Um, we don't really have to be at any certain threshold in order to say, I don't drink. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important, like you were kind of saying, like, you don't have to set any rules for yourself either necessarily, you know, you don't have to say, I'm stopping completely and like adhere to that if you don't feel like that's where you want to be yet, or you don't have to, you know, say I'm only going to drink on special occasions. And I mean, if you have that control, you know, if you don't have like a dependency or, or anything like that. But um, I think one of the things I found interesting when I've been trying to practice more just like mindfulness around my drinking behaviors um is that you know for me it was I just found myself drinking when I didn't even probably really want to it was just the setting I was in I felt like that's what I was supposed to do like we're out on the boat of course that's just what you do and so I've been trying to pull back and actually think like do I actually want this right now and in most cases I don't um but I was talking to somebody about this and uh, it was a friend of mine and she was talking about, you know, maybe going out on a boat ride with us. And she was like, oh, I just didn't feel like drinking. So I, I just, I wasn't going to be fun that day. And I was just like that it's, it's so tied to our, like, for a lot of us, like our ability to be social and to be fun, which I think is super interesting. And, and I think would be kind of a hard thing to separate for people. Yeah, well, a lot of it comes from the early associations that we've made around alcohol and socialization. So if, and there's science around this, that the the younger that we are when we drink, the more that we identify or associate alcohol with pleasure, mm -hmm. which means if we in our early, you know, teenage socialization settings are using alcohol as part of that, we are really training our brain to 
associate those two things, right? So it becomes really hard to separate them when, again, if I'll use my my case as an example, if I started drinking at age 13 in, in social settings, you know, of course, at age 23, 10 years later, that's how I'm connecting with friends or feeling that, you know, that purpose or that connection. Um, you know, it takes a lot of relearning in those experiences. And that's part of what I was mentioning with that first year of sobriety and getting through a boating, you know, experience without mm-hmm. drinking, getting through some of these, because once we go through that experience and kind of gain a little bit of confidence in that setting to say, oh, well, actually, I didn't really need to drink. So much of it is habit, right? That it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I go on the boat and I drink. I'm not even thinking about it, right? Exactly. I'm not thinking, oh, am I going to drink today or am I not going to drink? It's just boat slash outdoors equals drinking, right? Yep. And so it's it's breaking some of those patterns and those habits and challenging that narrative a little bit in our heads to say, okay, once I get through this experience, I can realize like, I didn't really need to drink. I only really was because of this previous association with it. Mm-hmm. So it really, it's really about us challenging that narrative. And, you know, it's interesting because I have this one particular uh, memory of a while back, someone had reached out to me on Instagram and said something about how they were thinking about quitting drinking. And they said to me, so what do you do? Do you just go and, you know, to bars and not drink? And I said, well, no, I don't go to bars anymore. Like I, when I was a drinker, I think I thought the bar was like the only thing to do and the only place to be like, I, sure, I'll go to bars sometimes if there's a, you know, a gathering, a friend's thing, a wedding or, you know, dinner, whatever it is. But I don't like spend my weekends now in bars. Like I think we forget when we're in a bar so often that there's like a whole big wide world with millions of other things to do outside of just sitting in that bar. So yeah, it it's sometimes it's getting comfortable with like maybe boredom, quote unquote, in a sense of maybe on Friday night you stay home and you're you know, doing something creative or you're watching Netflix and you're taking it easy or, you know, you're, you invite a friend over and you guys are hanging out at home or, you know, in the yard, whatever that might look like. It doesn't mean that the bar is still the only place in the world to be. And when we change that mentality, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not having to put myself in this tempting situation a hundred percent of the time, right? Because if we had to go and sit in bars and, you know, hang on to the the bar stool because we didn't want to order a drink, then yes, it would be a lot harder, I think, for us to make those changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, what you mentioned is one thing, it, it just opens up, like you said, the world of possibilities, like, wow, there's so much more shit I can do with friends. And I think too, one thing that I've experienced is I have much more genuine and deeper connections with people and conversations. I mean, like those, drunk heart to hearts that I had in in college, like don't remember half of them, you know, but now I can have these sober heart to hearts and like have this, this deep conversation with people. And I think that that's um, a benefit that maybe I don't hear about as much, but that I've experienced myself. And I'm kind of curious, what are some other maybe unexpected or less well-known benefits um, of reducing or eliminating alcohol, either that you've experienced yourself or that you know, research supports, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, one of them, you know, of course, from, from what I do is, is health, 
right? Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us associate drinking or alcohol use with, okay, we have a hangover, maybe we feel crappy the next day. We're not necessarily thinking about the long-term effects of what's happening on the body. Again, not just the next day when we feel really yucky. That yucky feeling that we're feeling is this kind of post-poisoning, if you will, that we have, you know, infiltrated our body with a toxic substance. And that hangover that we're feeling is really our, our body trying to eliminate the toxic substance and the byproducts of that toxic substance from the body. Um, but we don't necessarily think about the long-term effects um, or even the midterm effects, right? We know that, and I think as a society, we know that, you know, our liver is affected by long-term mm -hmm. alcohol use. For most people, I'm like, well, what does the liver do? And they're like, uh, I, you know, I don't know, right? <laughs> well, the liver is really plays a really important role in hormone balance. It plays an important role in metabolism, in cholesterol management, uh, in waste, you know, toxin waste removal in general, right? Um, you know, alcohol is very disruptive to the gut, the gastrointestinal system, not only the microbiome, so all that good bacteria that we want to have in our gut. It also affects, you know, our stomach, how we absorb nutrients. It affects, um, you know, can cause inflammation in the gut that can trigger things like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Um, you know, if, if you have any digestive struggles and you're drinking alcohol, that is 100% impacting your digestion. I can tell you that with 100% certainty, um, you know, and so some of those things are a little bit more obvious, but, you know, alcohol leads to increased risk of cancer. Some of that has to do with our liver and how our liver becomes unable to eradicate or eliminate toxins and waste and things that we're exposed to on a regular basis. Um, you know, things like anxiety, depression, mood disorders, all of that is, you know, not only affected by alcohol use, but can directly be the result of long-term alcohol use, um, especially certain nutrients like B vitamins and certain amino acids that support the brain's production of dopamine and serotonin. You know, we could get into kind of all these different angles of health and science and um, you know, we could definitely go further down that path, but another huge, huge benefit, which I, I kind of mentioned to you, you both in the beginning is like, I mean, I had goals on my goals list, like every year that I would carry over, oh, I want to start a business. Oh, I want to write a book. Oh, I want to run a half marathon. Like all these things that within like a couple of months after quitting drinking, the doors literally just opened. Like I wasn't even really trying for lack of a better word. Um, but because I was so much more connected to myself, to my purpose, to my body, I wasn't waking up hungover all the time. Right. Like mm -hmm. I had so much more will and capacity toward, you know, focusing on myself and, and what was going on in, in my world aside from alcohol. Um, and so that's a really big thing that I, I think we really don't recognize how much it's getting in our way. Um, and when we take it away, we can really start to see that, but it's very, very, very hard to see when you're still drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> I was also curious, kind of on the flip side um, of the benefits, you know, what can people expect in terms of, I hate to say side effects, but for lack of a better word, because obviously the benefit of quitting is so much higher than any, you know, side effects you might experience. 
Um, I know, you know, just from kind of being a fan of your, of you on Instagram and things like you talk about like sugar cravings and things like that. So I was just curious, you know, what kind of things, um, can maybe come when you quit. Um, and I think that kind of ties really nicely into like what, what you do, um, what you're an expert in and how like nutrition, um, plays a role in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that we also think that, eliminating alcohol is the magic pill, right? And that Mm -hmm. I'm explaining it as a magic pill. So don't get me wrong. It is pretty magical. Um, But I will say that, of course, it does come with, especially if you have maybe a longer history of alcohol use or a heavier um, intake history, you know, always, always, always consult, especially if you're a daily, almost daily drinker, consulting with a doctor is really important to make sure that, you know, if you need some type of medically supported detox, um, you know, alcohol withdrawal can cause seizures. It can cause a lot of, um, you know, major health effects that you do want to just better safe than sorry, check in with, with your doc. But, you know, other things that people experience, one of them is, of course, sugar cravings. And that's one that just about everyone experiences. Oh, interesting. And some some of that has to do with, you know, sugar, sugar increases dopamine. So when we eliminate alcohol, we kind of have a dip in that, you know, that dopamine surge that we experience on a regular basis. But also alcohol has a very significant effect on blood sugar management in the body. And so when we eliminate alcohol, it can also cause some irregularities in blood sugar, which we can experience more hypoglycemic episodes where maybe we get low blood sugar that can manifest for a lot of people as sugar cravings, carb cravings, and even alcohol cravings. Um, So that's where nutrition can play a pretty big role in terms of, um, you know, how you can make minor changes to your diet. You know, I don't necessarily recommend cutting out alcohol, going keto, working out seven days a week, you know, like all (laughs) of these things, because it is a lot, right? We want to kind of focus on that, that main thing. But one of the things that I hear a lot of challenge from from clients, from people on Instagram, for example, is, you know, I cut out alcohol and I expect it to feel better. You know, I cut it out three weeks ago or a month ago or three months ago, and I still feel anxiety. I still, you know, I haven't lost weight. I haven't, you know, had any health improvements. And what I like to explain to people is that it can really take anywhere between two to six months in order to feel those benefits. And that number is going to be a little bit longer, you know, more on the six month side of things, if you have a heavier history of drinking or a history of heavier drinking. Um, And that's just by the nature that our body is when we, when we drink heavily regularly, our body becomes very used to having to metabolize that, having to, you know, focus on this substance in our system that it has to eliminate and process. When we take that away, our body has to kind of readjust. It has to reestablish some of those systems. It has to um, really regulate itself again. And that can take some time to do so. And, And everybody's body is a little bit different. But also, you know, we all have unique situations in terms of, um, you know, if alcohol, this is an example I'll use, if alcohol um, has depleted a lot of your nutrition, your nutrients, your B vitamins, your vitamin C, your vitamin D, those can come back, of course, with time, but that also depends on your diet. That depends on if you're using maybe supplements to help rebalance that, Um, you know, if you are 
again, if you're eating fruits and vegetables on a regular basis, all of those things can play a role in how quickly you might bounce back from that. So again, that's where really nutrition and, you know, changing your lifestyle, you know, checking in on your health can become really beneficial. So, you know, when it comes to the work that I do, that's where, you know, I kind of have a range of offerings that I, uh, you know, have for people in terms of just helping them through online courses, identify, you know, how to maybe maximize their diet, how to make changes to their nutrition, um, you know, gain the support that they need in order to stay sober, sober curious, um, and kind of work through some of those challenges together. But then I also see clients one-on-one -on -one where we will do more in-depth analysis, investigation, blood work, stool testing, hormone testing, et cetera. And this is not only for people who are maybe struggling to get to that next level with their health, um, but it's also for people that maybe have more significant health concerns. So they have autoimmune diseases or they have an uh, inflammatory bowel condition or um, headaches or menopause symptoms, uh, PCOS, for example, all these different kind of more specific health concerns that for so many of us, I don't think we really think that alcohol has played that much of a role, but it can be really a direct contributor to some of those things. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that with those other conditions. That's, that's really yeah, it's, you know, a lot of what I do is helping to explain to people that their alcohol use history can be the reason behind almost anything they experience. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just that in, things manifest differently in different people. So someone, you know, I might have the same alcohol use history as you, Haley, but it might show up for you as hormone imbalances. You have, you know, heavy periods, maybe you have infertility or whatever those things might be. For me, it might be more digestion. It might be more, um, you know, I'm deficient in certain nutrients. So it really varies person by person. And that's why it can be a little bit more challenging to really hone in to say, you know, what was the true cause? Is it alcohol? Who knows? But we can say with certainty that alcohol definitely wasn't helping the situation. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, and, you know, I feel like you've talked about a lot about a lot of benefits for, for cutting back and, or, or becoming sober. Um, have you had clients, um, or is there science that says, you know, for the very casual, social, minimal use of alcohol drinker, if they do decide to become sober, are there health benefits that you've seen people experience or that science, you know, um, shows to be beneficial? Obviously, there's like the psychosocial aspect, which mm -hmm. um, is separate. But I was just curious, like what kind of benefits you've seen for those people who who aren't heavy drinkers by any means, but decide to become sober? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think in so many of those people who maybe are pretty minimal drinkers, they recognize that they're doing it maybe because of social environmental situations and less because of any other reason, mm -hmm. right? So they might find that, um, you know, even a, a single glass of wine, for example, makes them more fatigued the next day or kind of gets in the way of their mental clarity and they might find that just eliminating that, you know, one glass every here and there is worth it because in the end, it's not, you know, the outcome of it is 
this kind of short-term little maybe boost or feel-good moment that is followed by however many hours of, you know, mm-hmm. struggle from, you know, some some way from it. Um, and from a scientific standpoint, you know, what, what we're really seeing now in the research is that really any amount of alcohol is problematic. Mm-hmm. And Canada actually released new guidance last year in 2022 that really went against all of the previous, you know, one glass a day for women, two or less per day for men, and said, really anything over two drinks a week is increasing health risk, minimally, right, over maybe two glasses a week. But that goes much further against, you know, the two glasses or one glass a day, which we previously were kind of told. Mm-hmm. And so in that guidance, the um, Canadian guidance from last year, it's it's looking at it more of a spectrum of anything from zero to two, um, you know, is low, is is minimal risk. Anything from three to six is really starting to increase your risk. And then anything seven and above is where they can really start to identify health concerns from. And that just goes up with more and more intake. Yeah. And so it really begs the question of if you are just, you know, drinking here and there, how much do you feel that you need to be doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in general, if again, if it's not an addiction, if it's not, you know, that you need to or have to, um, I think more of it is just breaking those social patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And the biggest challenge that we experience is, you know, especially if we're someone who doesn't drink a whole lot and we say, oh, we're not drinking today. People are saying, oh, we'll just have one or you sure you don't want a half a glass or, you know, if you want something else or, you know, it's it's really, for lack of a better word, the social and the peer pressure of it. Um, is really messed up. I'll say messed up instead of an F word. <laughs> you could. Even though I know I can. <laughs> um, okay, so I hadn't planned to ask this question because I didn't even really think about it until now. But um, I've been hearing more about like heart rate variability and like mm-hmm. how that's like a marker for your overall health, mostly cardiovascular health, I think. Um I have a friend that wears like the aura ring, which like tracks some of that stuff. My watch has an app that tracks that. I think my bed tracks it, my HRV and my breath rate. And like, it's Damn, Randy. bougie. Um, but so anyway, I've, I've read a little bit in seeing all these numbers. I'm like, what does this mean? Why is it higher? Why is it lower? And a lot of them say that like alcohol can affect that. Um, And I was just curious if you have any experience with like these devices that are tracking these things or like Mm -hmm. if you know anything about the research and Mm -hmm. in heart rate variability and health and how alcohol affects all that. Yeah, well, a a lot of it comes down to the fact that alcohol affects cardiovascular rate. It affects, you know, stress in the cardiovascular system and stress, you know, basically, um, you know, because it's increasing blood pressure, it's increasing, you know, heart rate and those types of things. Mm -hmm. And so one of the really interesting things, things that I experienced, and I got an aura ring several years ago, and um, this was before I quit drinking, and I actually wouldn't wear it when I would drink, which soon became like I retired the ring, because the statistics that I would see on the ring would actually freak me out because basically, so it's interesting to wear these devices because you can actually see how your body is affected by that. So like 
not that it made me stop drinking. It made me stop wearing the ring. Eventually I stopped drinking. So like, but you know, (laughs) neither here nor there, but (laughs) it can be really interesting kind of evidence to show like how your body is being affected by this stuff. Right. And the reason why, you know, it was, I stopped wearing the ring was because what I would see is, you know, on a normal day, a normal night, my heart rate would, you know, start higher as I was awake. And then it would go down when I would be asleep right into the sixties, fifties, um, you know, when it shows you your lowest heart rate, et cetera. On the nights that I would drink, my heart rate would stay in the nineties, sometimes in the hundreds all night. So that that's scary, right? That's basically mm-hmm. so your resting heart rate is staying elevated. It's, you know, not allowing you to get into a state of rest, of relaxation, of, you know, no wonder why you wake up with anxiety after nights of drinking, because your heart rate is literally racing all night because mm-hmm. as if you're in a state of stress, right? And so I do think the wearables are really interesting in terms of how you can use that information to, to really see the impacts that alcohol is having on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, heart rate variability specifically is something that um, a lot of people that are big in exercise or runners, they use that as a measure of recovery of how their body is recovering. So alcohol is definitely going to affect that number. Um, and cause that number to be lower, which you want to kind of elevate that. And so it, it's just another way. I mean, you can use that. You can use, you know, lab values and blood work to, to identify, you know, how different organ systems are working. So it's just another kind of indicator of health and something that you can use to kind of get a benchmark of uh, your overall cardiovascular health. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's super cool. Um, I feel like I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I don't want to <laughs> keep <know>. you forever. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, one of our last questions we wanted to ask was, you know, just what are like your top recommendations for somebody who's like just beginning to explore the idea of sobriety, mm-hmm. sober curiosity? Like, what do you recommend they use for resources or like first mm-hmm. actionable steps, things like yeah. that? Yeah. So I absolutely recommend becoming a part of a community that is like-minded in terms of, you know, if you're looking to get sober, sober curious, just kind of surrounding yourself with people that have this similar interest. Um, This is part of the reason why I started my online community, not only to, you know, provide information about health in addition to that, but you know, the reason why something like AA works really well for people is because it's community. It's it's giving people this place to identify. It's giving them somewhere else that they can, you know, again, if we've surrounded ourselves with people who drink, we need to find people who don't drink if we're going to be successful in cutting back or eliminating. Mm-hmm. So finding a community is a huge piece. Um, and it gives you kind of this level of support, this level of accountability, but this level of understanding of, again, meeting new people who share your struggles, share your experiences, but also share that similar goal of cutting back or elimination. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of things that you can do from a nutritional standpoint to support um, a sober, sober curious journey. Little things like incorporating more protein in your diet and having um, you know, more consistent meals throughout the day, that's going to help balance your blood sugar, which is going to help you avoid alcohol cravings, sugar cravings, et cetera. And really, you know, 
I like that you would ask questions about the wearables, Randy, because if you're listening and you're interested in this and you have wearables, you know, watch or uh, ring, et cetera, you can use that as some of that kind of research or fact finding for yourself. Because I think what I know from me and from working with my clients is it can be helpful to personalize it a little bit and, and really know truly what impacts alcohol is having on your own personal body to say like, wow, that's a pretty big deal. And that makes me, you know, have more of a desire to stop because if we don't, you know, this is why, unfortunately in the past, people had to hit like a rock bottom, if you will, in order to change their drinking habits, because if we're kind of floating along, you know, it can be hard to, to make that change. But I think when we have more of that data, more of that information, Mm-hmm. It can be really helpful to kind of guide us toward making that change and, and changing our habits for good. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And also, here's the biggest resource, pre-order my book. Yeah. Because- <laughs> I was going to say, buy the book. Today. <laughs> yeah. So the book comes out in December, but it is on pre-order as of now. And, um, you know, Yes, you'll have to wait a little bit in order to get the book, but you'll get it right in time for dry January because it's coming out in December. And, um, you know, the book really talks about how I really started doing this work around nutrition and sobriety. And the book is called How to Eat to Change How You Drink. Mm. And again, it is providing you with nutrition resources. It it provides you with a 30-day guide to quit or cut back. It also provides you with recipes, supplement recommendations, uh, and lots of information on that kind of scientific piece, like how alcohol is affecting your gut and your hormones and all these different areas of the body that maybe we didn't think were being affected by alcohol. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's got a lot about my personal story too, which is really exciting and something that, you know, I feel very passionate about sharing because, um, because I was there, like I was in the trenches of really struggling and somehow I was able by, you know, the grace of a higher power, I I have to believe that it was, um, you know, brought me to this kind of new experience of life. And, um, and now I'm able to share that with other people, which is really, really cool. Mm. So good. This is this conversation. I mean, obviously I want to share it with listeners and we're going to, but I feel like it's, really beneficial personally because my, um, I mean, obviously I was pregnant, so I wasn't drinking. (laughs) Turned out okay. Yep. Uh, So, but I've decided to continue not drinking until at least the one year mark. And um, I've, my husband has also been doing it since Mal was born. So he's gone, you know, three months and, um, And I feel like there's so much messaging around like moms and a glass of wine, or there's reels about like sneaking a bottle of wine into the, you know, delivery room and all of this stuff. And so I've, you know, just the stress and that messaging around momming or parenting and alcohol, it's, I've been noticing it more and also it being summer. So while this conversation and this episode is going to wildly impact you know listeners and everything i just want to thank you because personally it's been really beneficial as i sit here for the majority of it and and rock my child (laughs) Um, but yeah it's just really um reassuring and kind of solidifying that and encouraging that continuation of sobriety at least for a year and then i can you know check in with myself and see how i feel but um so yeah thank you for that yeah i'm really happy to hear that and you know 
it is, I think, unfortunate in so many ways, the messaging, which is, I mean, it's, it's, I hate to say it, the advertising marketing industry, this is what they specialize in, right? So, you know, now there are even drinks that are called like mom juice and, you know, mommy, yes. mommy wine and whatever it is, right? Because we do, we, we, there's this messaging around like, you deserve it. You deserve to kind of, you know, unwind and relax and all those things. And I am not a parent, so I will not pretend to know what it is like and the stresses that are there, um, you know, to take care of a child. But the other thing to remember is that how we care for our children is a direct reflection of who they are when they grow up, right? So if they're you know, 10, 8, 14, whatever they are, and they're seeing their parents, their mom, et cetera, use alcohol in this way, then that affects how they use alcohol in their future too. And so that's another thing to consider is, you know, I know life is hard. We all have our own series of stresses, whether it be kids, what have you, but there are definitely other ways of learning to cope with those things. And that's a lot of what sobriety is about. It's learning how to get through difficult emotions, challenging situations, stressful moments, and not having to take a glass, you know, a drink in order to numb that. So, you know, it might be finding other ways of maybe it's exercise, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's going for a walk, maybe it's getting a therapist, maybe it's, you know, there's a, a thousand different things that we could talk about. And it's, you know, such a great kind of ongoing conversation to have. But knowing that working through that and, and finding those alternatives to coping with the stress are what's really going to serve us in the much better in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, um, I think it's just so commendable for you to share your story and kind of pull back the curtain. Um, just because I think being vulnerable and sharing personal stories with people just draws people in so much more. But also, um, I think it's so beneficial to see an example of somebody who, you know, wasn't the the traditional or stereotypical rock bottom alcoholic who decided to make a change. Like, as we talked about in the beginning, you know, you can kind of change the narrative around what it means to um, decide to be sober and, and yeah. who that's for. So I think that's yeah. awesome. Um, so the book, pre-order today um but where like where can people find you like instagram all that other stuff where can people go to like learn more and hear from you yeah i'm most active on my instagram out of all the social platforms including threads because guys i'm not there yet i'm i'm on there but i'm not really on there Same. on there um <laughs> But my Instagram is at drbrookscheller. I'm sure the ladies will include that in the show notes. Um, yep. You can also head over to my website, functionalsobriety.com or brookscheller.com. We'll both take you to the same place. Um, but there you can find more information about my online programs, about pre-ordering the book uh, and all of that good stuff. So Instagram is really where it's at, where I post most of the goodies. Um, yeah, so... I'm so excited to have come on today and to meet you both and, and to have this great conversation. And I hope we can chat again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. This was an amazing, wonderful conversation. Like I said, I could, I could do it all day. I have, all, I have so many more questions. I'll save them for next time. Part two. Um, <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, head on over to Apple iTunes or Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Give Them the Bird Podcast to stay up to date with all things GTB. We'll see you back here next week for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.